Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve. I'm the campus pastor here, and we are continuing today in our series called Follow Me. Uh, we had a great week last week. If you missed it, um, you should go listen. In fact, I, uh, you can go to our website, genesischurch.me, and you can find the podcast on there. And I encourage you to do that this week because I've been really impressed. God has really impressed on me as I've been working on this series of how one week just flows into the next. And so I meant to issue a challenge to you last week, and I didn't do that. So I'm going to issue a challenge to you now, and that's that would you be willing to come for all six weeks of this series? I know we all have a lot of things to do, and um, you may have to be out of town or, or miss, but if you're here and you're in town, we would love for you to be here for all six weeks because for two reasons. One, because they do uh, flow into one another, and we're going to build each week on what we talked about the week before. Uh, but second, because I believe, and God continues to impress this on me and, and our staff here, that this series is going to be foundational to where our church is going in the future. You know, when we talk about helping people find their way back to God, if we're going to help people find their way back to God, it's going to start with us finding our way back to God and and learning how to follow and to be a follower of Jesus. And so would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to come uh, for the six weeks of the series? You only got five left, okay? And if you miss one, uh, go to our website and download the podcast and listen to it sometime during the week. If you're in a group, you know, most of our groups right now are going through this series. You guys are doing that anyway. And so hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you. You know, I was thinking this week when I was um, in high school, how many of you remember when you were in high school? Most of you, some of you are still in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I couldn't wait to be out of high school. Didn't you feel that way, especially when you were a senior? Like, man, when I just get this behind me, it's gonna, life's going to be so great. And then you get to college, and for those of you who went to college, you know you go to college, and um, college is fun, and it's different, but after a while, it grows kind of tiring, right? And I took uh, the long way through college. Um, I was on the 10-year plan, and so um, it took me a long time to get through college, but man, when I was a senior in college, I was like, I cannot wait to be out of college. I cannot wait to just get done with this and start my life. Anybody relate to that? You know? And then you get out in the real world, and then it's about six months, isn't it? When you realize that life isn't quite like you expected it to be. Like, you ever get one of those times and you think, man, one o'clock in the morning, what I wouldn't give to start a movie marathon right now and order a pizza, you know, and, and just have whatever time that I want. But we don't do that anymore, right? I think the truth is we always think that our lives are going to somehow be easier in the future or they're going to somehow be less busy in the future. Do we think that? I mean, like, you know, once I finish these finals, Life's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much easier. Once, once I get done with this project I'm working on at work, I'll have so much more time on my hands. You know, if you're a parent, once soccer season is over, we're going to have so much time, right? Once, once I get my CPA exam behind me or my bar exam or whatever set of tests you might be taking, you know, or maybe you're in that stage of life and you think, man, once the kids move out, you know, we'll have lots of time on our hands to do whatever we want. But in reality, the truth is, I've seen this in my life. Maybe you've seen it in yours. We seem to get busier and busier. Don't you find that to be true? Like, if if you're in the stage of life that I'm in, there's a good chance you have something to do every night of the week, right? I mean, Monday night's Girl Scout night. Tuesday night's piano lessons. and uh, Wednesday's yoga class. And Thursday, that's when we have people over for dinner. And Friday's small group. And Saturday is when we do all the chores around the house and do all the cleaning that we didn't get to do during the week. And Sunday, well, Sunday, that's Jesus' day. You know, that's the day that we get to do Jesus. On Sunday, you know, we can, we can talk about Jesus, but leave us alone the rest of the week, right? Well, uh, in reality, uh, that's not what Jesus wants, as Cameron was talking about just a minute ago. So last week, um, I used this verse to kick off the series. I talk, talked about this being the reason we did this series. 
Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And I'm a guy who appreciates feedback, okay? And so um, I heard from some of our group leaders that this verse really hit some people hard, really hit some of you hard. And so uh, it wasn't my plan to come revisit this verse this week, but because I know that it was... um, uh, maybe demotivational for some of you. I wanted to come back to it and just talk about this verse for a minute because I know, I, I can see and, and know reading that verse how it could be hard for some of us to hear. Now, the truth is I don't ever want to shy away from a piece of scripture because it's difficult to hear or difficult to understand. In fact, those are the ones we really need to dig into the most. When you hear that God has great plans for your life from a scripture verse, You probably don't need to dig into that as much, maybe. You don't feel the need to go revisit that time and time again. But but the truth is that when Jesus said this, it wasn't meant to scare you. This verse isn't there to uh, make you clean up your act, okay? Instead, this verse helps draw a stark contrast between what the world views as Christianity and what Scripture points to as a relationship with God. In fact, if you just look at this verse, it is filled with hope because it tells us that the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will inherit eternal life, will, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We, we have this great assurance from Jesus himself that those who do the will of the Father inherit the kingdom of heaven. That should be encouraging to us. Now, make no mistake, this does not mean that you can work your way in. All right, This is in no way about how you can do enough good stuff to earn your way into God's favor or that you can avoid enough bad stuff so that God will think, oh man, he is awesome. Like I've got to have him in my kingdom. That's not what this verse is about. This isn't some supernatural playground kickball draft, okay, where we're all standing in a line and God's going, yeah, you and you and you and you, and you get skipped. You know, that's not what this is about. Instead, it shows what we talked about last week and what we've been talking about so far this morning, that, that Jesus doesn't want to be the and one in our relationship. Like, that that, that he can't just be our Sunday thing. He needs to be our everyday thing. The the will of the Father is for us to be in a meaningful relationship with Jesus that's bigger than, okay, that's more important than, that overshadows every other relationship in our lives. We see this very frequently in the New Testament. There's a a time when a man says, uh, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. You come follow me. You know, he says, uh, Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to a plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus at one point says, who are my mothers and my brothers? The ones who do the will of my father. That's my family. It's clear with Jesus. He doesn't want to be second. He can't be second. You know, he, he, but for anyone who does the will of his father and puts Jesus at the center of their life, well, the kingdom of God belongs to them. That's what this verse says. You know, Peter once asked Jesus, he said, we have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us in heaven? And in Matthew 19, uh, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And what Jesus is effectively saying is this. He says, the key to eternal life is to choose Jesus above all other things. And this verse from Matthew 7 that we talked about first shows that there are many people, Jesus says many people, who have chosen Jesus as their Sunday thing. But the key to eternal life is to make him your everyday thing. Jesus instead of everything else, not in addition to everything else. 
Right? Pastor Matt Chandler says it this way. He says, if your version of Christianity is that Christ is an add-on to the other things and has not affected the way you live your life and the way you see other things, then you are your own God under the false banner of Christianity. Because the truth is, when you have an encounter with Jesus, a a true, life-altering, all-consuming encounter with the creator of the universe, well, some things are going to look different in your life. In fact, just imagine that after uh, church today, you go out for lunch and you decide to meet a friend there. And uh, your friend drives separate and you get to lunch and uh, you're, you're there and you wait 15 minutes and nobody shows up and 30 minutes and nobody shows up. And finally that your friend shows up and uh, they show up and they, and they walk in and they're a little disheveled, but nothing out of, out of place. And they say, I'm sorry, I'm late. I got hit by a semi uh, on my way to lunch. Uh, if they don't look like they're seriously wounded, you're going to have some questions, right? Because if you have an encounter with a truck, you're going to look different on the other side. Do you agree with that? In the same way, if you have an encounter with the creator of the universe, your life is going to look different. And that's what we want to talk about today. As we continue in our series, Follow Me, I want to talk about three words. They're really big words. Um, They're really uh, churchy words a little bit. Um, But they're three things that happen when we decide to submit our lives to the Lordship of Christ. You know, last week we talked about that as you follow Jesus, one of the things that's going to naturally happen, the more you follow, uh, the more you're going to be drawn to submit your life to Jesus' Lordship. And so today we're going to talk about three really churchy words. If you're one of those people that really likes to go deep, man, we're going to go deep today. If you're not, um, I'm I'm sorry, (laughs) okay? So we'll try to do the best we can to explain it. But three things that happen when you submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And the first one is this, justification. The first word is justification. Justification is a big word, um, but it means basically that we are forgiven for our sin. This is something that happens immediately when we submit our lives to God's lordship. Romans 3.21 says this, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay, so that tells us that it comes right away when you submit your life to the, to the lordship of Jesus, that it comes right away to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we use that verse so many times when we think about how we mess up, like that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but sometimes we stop there. And that's not where we should stop, because the next verse has so much hope in us, for us. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And justification means to be declared innocent of. I mean, if you think about it in legal terms, it comes from the same root word where we get the English word justice. And we love justice, especially in America, don't we? I I can tell you how I know uh, we love justice. Hawaii Five-0, Criminal Minds, NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, Law and Order SVU, and CSI. In fact, what are there like eight CSIs or have been in the past? Uh, you like Las Vegas? Yeah, we got one for you. Okay, you like New York? We got, we got one for you. You like Miami if you're about humidity? Okay, we've got a CSI for you. You know, Omaha? Okay, CSI Omaha. Let's make one there. You know, we love stories about the law, right? We, we love to see justice served. When we're justified, when we're justified in our sin, justice is served, but not in the way we expected it's like one of those gritty courtroom dramas, but this, it's real this time. And you're the defendant. And the judge is there on the throne, on the bench, sorry, on the throne. And he hears the charges, and you just cringe because you know that you did it. 
and the judge bangs his gavel down and declares you innocent? Really? If you're under the lordship of Jesus, you're declared innocent of your sin. Luke 5, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Side note, what would you do to get a friend in front of Jesus? Listen to this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. That doesn't seem fair, you say. There there needs to be a price. You know, for for there to really be justice, somebody has to pay a price. Well, there is a price. You don't have to pay it. For those of us who have trusted the leadership of Jesus in our lives, he paid the price for us. He went to the cross and died. He took the punishment we deserve so we didn't have to. Through Christ, we are justified before God. Psalm 103 says, He has removed our sins from as far from us as east is from west. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but east and west aren't places, right? They're directions, right? This is not, this is directional. When we're justified, we are turned away from our sin. It's taken away from us. That's what happens when you trust the lordship of Christ. You are justified. You, have, you get justification. The second word is this. It's the word Adoption. We are adopted into his kingdom. This is something that happens right away uh, when we trust the lordship of Jesus. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, this also counts for daughtership, all right? Okay, but we get adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, if you've heard this before, you know that word Abba is a, a term of endearment for a dad. It's like saying daddy, okay? So you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You know, when you submit to the lordship of Jesus, you're adopted into God's family. It's not that your old family doesn't matter anymore, but you receive all the rights and privileges of an heir, of the kingdom of God. You know, my good friend and uh, our Noblesville campus pastor, Ben Krause, and his wife, Beth Ann, a few years ago, uh, had a, uh, an immediate opportunity to adopt a son. They already had three girls living in the house, and um, uh, through a strange set of circumstances that could have only come from God, um, this boy, Josiah, was presented to them uh, to be adopted. And uh, when they decided to adopt him, Uh, The day that they took possession of him, that they brought him into their house, he had all the rights and privileges of being a son of the Krauses. He he didn't have to wait until the papers were signed. Okay, he didn't have to wait until he earned his way. In fact, all he could do at that time was eat and poop and cry. And so basically, there was nothing he could do to earn their love. But right away, he became an heir to the Krauses. He became a son of the Krauses, no less a child of theirs than the three girls that were already living in their house. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What an incredible thought. 
You know, the theologian J.I. Packer, one of my favorite quotes of his is uh, that he said that if you want to find out what someone thinks about a relationship with God, find out first what they think it means to be a child of God, because that will tell you about their relationship with God. By the way, when someone's adopted, I don't know if you know this, but their name changes. They, they're not who they were. They get a new name. They get a new identity, right, when they're, when they're adopted. And so for you, when you're adopted, that means you are no longer a sinner, that you're saved by grace. Now, you still may sin, but that's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation in Christ, which can become really confusing for people when they continue to do some of the things that they used to do before they knew Jesus. When things don't change right away, uh, it sets up, I think, the third word that we're going to talk about. Take a look at this. supposed to go Christmas and Easter and all of those fun times. And then in 2009, um, we found Genesis. And um, I had been baptized um, in high school. And when we found Genesis, it just felt like home. And it's been a very slow process, um, a learning process. I would say within the past two years is when my faith has really taken off and grown. John and the kids and I um, got home from an outing, and we had been trying to teach Alex, who's three, um, to look both ways before he crosses the road. And being a three-year-old boy, he still doesn't listen very well. Um, we got out of our car and went to cross the road of our apartment complex and a lady ran the stop sign and came not even two feet from Alex because right when she did that, he darted. I screamed, John screamed and ran after him. Um, she gave me the look like, really lady, control your kid. And at that moment, I don't know if it was I don't know what it was, but anger completely took over me. And as John was taking the kids in the house, I got in the car and I chased after this poor woman. And she had stopped and I got out of the car and I just let into her and screaming. And she said, lady, you need to get in your car. And I said, no, you need to get out of your car. And I thank God daily that she did not get out of her car because... I probably would have gone to jail, but then afterwards I went home and I sat on the couch and I, I looked at John and I said, what did I do? And he goes, well, you got kind of angry. And I was like, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm a woman who's supposed to be showing my kids what a Christian is and showing my friends what a Christian is. And, you know, I attend church regularly. I listen to Caleb regularly. And there I am screaming these terrible words to this poor woman. And I felt this tremendous amount of guilt. And of course, I have no idea who this woman is. But as a Christian, I shouldn't 
like that. And I, I do. And, and I got on Facebook and I was like, why? Why? I, how do I get rid of this guilt? And if I'm a Christian, why do I still act like this? If I'm a Christian, why do I still dot, dot, dot? Why do I still do that? Well, that brings us to the third word, the third thing that happens uh, when we submit to Christ's lordship, and it's the word sanctification. And sanctification is from a Greek word, hagios, which means a separation. Okay, sanctified, to be sanctified means to be set apart, and it's not an immediate thing. Now, now, there are a few pieces to sanctification. One of those pieces is immediate, all right? There's a, a positional sanctification, all right? Uh, I know that's our positional separation. We're, we're made a new creation in Christ, all right? We're, we're separated from our sin when we submit our lives to him, and that's important. But what most of us think about when we hear the word sanctification or we hear the word transformation, for instance, it is a progressive separation. It's a process, it's a process, a transformation that happens over time as we follow Jesus and our lives evolve to become more and more like his. Now, usually when we think about sanctification, we think about changing our external behavior. All right, I want my life to look different on the outside. We, we think about things like the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. These qualities, these character traits are so good and so desirable. I mean, love. Who, who wouldn't want more love? Joy? We all want to be joyful, right? Peace? I'd love to have more peace in my life. Forbearance? I don't really know what forbearance is, um, but it's usually translated as patience. And man, God knows I could use some patience. Self-control? How much better would my life be if I just had a little more self-control? Right? Those are good things. And we get so frustrated when we don't have them. When we can't produce them or manufacture them, it, it feels sometimes like we failed. Like, how can I be a good Christian if I don't have all those things? But there's something I want you to notice here. These are called the fruit of the Spirit, right? Notice the Spirit is capital S, Spirit. So Spirit is God's Holy Spirit. It's a part of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you something. What produces the fruit of a tree? The tree, right? I mean, if you have a tree, you can't produce fruit on that tree, right? The tree has to produce that fruit. That's the tree's job. Well, in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit then is produced by the, by the, by the Spirit, right? God's Holy Spirit is the only one who can produce these fruit in abundance. You can't produce them. Next week, uh, Kevin Russell, our groups and discipleship pastor, is going to be here. He's going to talk a lot more about this next week. And, and, but but that's, that's what he's going to talk about. But God does this. He produces these fruit through the process of sanctification. But it doesn't happen overnight. In fact, in my experience, and I'm sure this would be yours, there, there's a lot of people that have been a Christian here a lot longer than I have. Sanctification is a lifelong process. It's something that... All of us who are finding our way back to God, you know, all of us who are trying to follow Jesus, we're, we're not done yet. Now, we may have crossed that line from death into life. You know, we may have submitted our lives to the lordship of Christ, but we're still in the process of being transformed. In fact, I think there are three things that help produce 
sanctification in the life of a believer. And I think what you're going to see when you go through this is that, that sanctification, those fruit of the Spirit, they are from God, but we have a part to play in that too. And so the, the, the three things that I think produce sanctification in us are time, obedience, and prayer. First time. Uh, how many of you watched um, Meryl Davis and Charlie White this week take home the gold medal in ice dancing in the Olympics? Anybody watch that? Did you know they met when they were eight years old? Eight. Eight years old. They, they were ice dancing partners when they were 10. And I heard that this week, and I looked at my girls who are now 12 and 10, and I thought, Hun, I'm so sorry, I failed you. <laughs> like, you are never going to make the Olympics now. I haven't even found you an ice dancing partner. <laughs> at 10 years old, they were ice dancers. Now, what if they would have looked at each other at 10 years old and thought, why aren't we Olympic champions yet? This is ridiculous. We, we are ice dancers we should be champions by now. People would have laughed at them, right? Their moms would have laughed at them. Why? Well, because it takes time to become a champion, right? It takes practice. In the same way, to be sanctified takes time. In John 15, 4, Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. See that? No branch can bear fruit by itself. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The word remain in your Bible may say abide, it means to stay for some time, to, to linger, to endure, to carry on. Well, how long? Well, honestly, this process of sanctification won't be complete in us until we reach glory. For our whole lives, we will be being transformed. We will be being sanctified. So sanctification takes time. It also takes obedience. There's some action required on our part. Just, just like you have to water and fertilize a tree to get it to produce the best fruit, uh, obedience produces ideal conditions for sanctification. Obedience comes from following the commands of Jesus. There's a cycle there. We obey. Our lives change. It causes us to want to obey more. And then our lives change more. But sometimes things get in the way of our obedience. <laughs> and you know what it usually is? This is our thoughts and our desires. In Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't do what the world does. Don't do what everybody else does. But we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to be sanctified from the world, okay? And how do we do that? By being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So part of our job, Paul says, is to renew our minds. This shows us what we said last week, that following Jesus is not about modifying our behavior. It's about a change that starts on the inside and then works its way out. And this transformation starts, Scripture says, with our thoughts with renewing of your mind. But you say, I can't control my thoughts. They just pop into my head sometimes, and I can't help it. How, how can I renew my mind if I can't control my thoughts? Well, we get some instruction in that as well. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, the weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, Paul is making the argument that you and I are embroiled in a large and severe spiritual battle. Okay, that we, we, we can't talk about all the elements for that today, but, but I, what I want you to know is there is this spiritual battle going on in this world and in your life and in my life that we don't always see all the elements of these. And Paul says that one of the number one battlegrounds is right here, your mind. This is a battleground the enemy loves to fight on because it's so easy to win in here if we are not renewing our minds. 
In verse 5, he says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so we're, anything that, that doesn't line up with what God has already told us, okay, we're going to take away. And he says, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And by doing that, we can renew our mind. And so as a lustful thought or a hateful thought or a deceitful thought come into our head, all right, we've got a couple choices. We can act on it, which is not good. We can try to ignore it, but it'll come back. Or we can take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. You can say, no, that's not who I am anymore. Christ has made me a new creation. I refuse to entertain that thought. So if a lustful thought comes into your mind, for instance, you can think about that thought and think, okay, I'm not going to act on that because that's not what Christ would want me to do. I acknowledge that thought, but God says I'm a new creation. And so I don't have to think about that anymore. You know what happens over time? Those thoughts become less and less frequent. They just don't keep walking into a hostile environment. Well, that's called obedience. And that's one of the things that leads to sanctification. But what if it's not working? All right, what if I've taken time? What if I've tried to obey? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you to hang in there. Uh, most of us have either or our parents or grandparents have had a coffee cup at one time that said, hang in there, God's not finished with me yet, right? Well, there's a scriptural equivalent to that. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for in the proper time, in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up, right? So don't quit. If you've been working at it, don't quit. But finally, if you've been giving time and you've been being obedient, the last thing that can help us in sanctification is prayer. It's last in order, but not last in importance. You know, in fact, prayer is the best tool. It's the best weapon. The Paul says we don't fight with the weapons of this world. Prayer is the best weapon we have in our arsenal to be sanctified. If, if we want our hearts to change, we need to pray to the God of the universe to change our hearts. King David did this, uh, Psalm 51, 10, he writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. This is a prayer that I pray all the time whenever I have something, some thought comes into my mind and I know that's not from God. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Do you hear what he's praying? He, can you hear the desperation in David's voice? What's so amazing about this prayer to me is it happened uh, right after David was confronted about an affair he had with a woman named Bathsheba. So so if you don't know the story, uh, David uh, was a king who followed God, had great success, uh, vast wealth, um, many wives, but he still wasn't satisfied. And so he had an affair with Bathsheba, and she got pregnant. And then to cover it up, uh, David had her husband killed. That's all in the Bible. I mean, if, if you watch soap operas, but you think the Bible's boring, you're not reading the right places, all right? Just when he thought he'd gotten away with it, David's good friend Nathan confronted him. And in response, David wrote Psalm 51, and it's all about his desire to be sanctified, his desire to be changed from the inside out, to be cleaned, to be made new. And it's, uh, he, he prays, create in me a pure heart, O God. He understands that he can't clean his own heart. That's a domain that only God owns. And David wrote another similar prayer in Psalm 139. It says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I wonder if you're in a place where you desperately want your life to change. You, know, you want to stop committing that sin. You, you believe you're no longer the person you once were. You, you, you want to stop thinking about those 
thoughts or feeling those emotions, would you be willing to pray these prayers this week? I mean, just every day for the next week and maybe a lot longer, would you pray, search me, God. See if there's any offensive way in me. You know, lead me in the way everlasting. Or maybe you need to pray this, create in me a pure heart, O oh God. Would you do that this week? As one step in your ongoing sanctification, if it meant becoming more like Jesus, isn't it worth it to you? But I want you to hear this too. There's a third type of sanctification that we don't want to lose sight of. It's, it's what we call complete separation, where we're sanctified and separated from all evil. And that only happens in heaven. You know, when we reach the end of this life, those of us who follow Christ that that have submitted our lives to his lordship can look forward to that day where the transformation process is finally and totally complete. We're, We're in a place where there is no evil and no pain and no sickness and no more suffering. A place where we can't make wrong choices and we don't have a temper and we don't wonder why bad things happen to good people because bad things don't happen there. A place where we can finally be with our God who's madly in love with us and wants to spend eternity with us. And we hope for that day. We long for that day. And sometimes we're desperate for that day. But until then, we want to celebrate the one event that made that day possible for us, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why as a church, uh, once a month, we take communion together. We as a body celebrate the taking of communion. We do that uh, because Scripture tells us that whenever we take this together, Uh, that we remember the Lord's death until he comes back. And so if you're in a place where you've trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, we invite you to take this with us. And and I know for some of you, that might mean uh, this is the first time you're ever doing that. And that is so exciting to me. Now, now here's the other thing. We believe the taking of communion is very serious. Um, and, And so if you haven't made that decision yet, if you haven't submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ don't let it be awkward for you, but just, just let this time pass. You might uh, listen to the music or pray or meditate or whatever you want to do. Uh, don't let it be awkward. We're going to have, um, just like last week, we're starting this this week, we're going to have our prayer team up here in the corners of the auditorium. Um, and so if you have at any time uh, during this time of communion or uh, during the time where the worship music's playing or whatever, if you have uh, something you want to be prayerful about, maybe you want to, Talk to God about sanctification, about why your life hasn't changed. Maybe you want to start that process with praying. We'll have people from our prayer team over here and over here during uh, communion and during this last worship set. Uh, in just a minute, I'm going to pray, and then I'll free you guys up to come up to the front and, or to the back. We have four tables. There are two here and two there. When you grab one of the cups, you'll notice that there are actually two cups together. The cup on the bottom has the bread, and you'll take that first. Um, because Jesus' body was broken for us, and um, then you'll take the the juice, which represents his blood, which is spilled for us in a new covenant. And so um, I'm going to pray, and you can come up or come back and get the elements, take them in your own time, and then we want to go before God with a little more worship and response. Would you pray with me? Father God, I I thank you um, that you love us unconditionally. Lord, that you... um, You see us as your children, and you want to adopt us into your kingdom, and you want to transform us and make us more and more like your son, Jesus. God, we know we've got a part to play in that, but we just pray today, too, that that you would be expedient with your part, God. We pray that you would help us create, that you would create a new heart in us. God, that you would search us and see if there's any offensive way in us. God, would you point that out to us? Lord, we thank you so much for this path that you've made to you through Jesus, that we celebrate that today through communion. 
that, that your son that came and died, he lived a life we couldn't live, he died a death we should have died, and he rose from the grave so that we can live again. And we celebrate that together through the taking of communion. God, I just pray for that, and I pray for this time of response that our worship would be pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.